Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Kingdom of God. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself the question, what is the Christian gospel? What did Jesus challenge his audiences to believe as the saving gospel or good news? What did Jesus mean by the phrase so often found on his lips, the kingdom of God? We've been discussing the fact that our Christian faith has its roots deeply in Judaism, in the Hebrew Bible, what we rather mistakenly call the Old Testament. Jesus, of course, was a Jew, and his thinking and his whole view of the world is related to its Jewish roots. Now, it's an absolute fact of history that after the time of the apostles, in the early centuries, in the second century, in fact, there was a strong Greek influence that came to bear on the Christian faith. Now, this had an inevitable result. It was that the original teachings of the Bible fell into varying degrees of obscurity. Many churchgoers have not been alerted to the fact that there were radical changes taking place in the development of doctrine in those early centuries. And these have affected the way that churchgoers view the Bible and view their Christian faith. I was mentioning last time that a very famous phrase known to all of us as believers, namely everlasting or eternal life, is in fact not a strictly accurate translation of the Greek original. In the Greek we have an expression which owes its origin, in fact, to the Old Testament, to the Hebrew Bible. In Daniel 12, verse 2, we read a most important statement about what's going to happen in the future at that glorious moment when the dead are going to come back to life in order to reign with Christ in the kingdom. In Daniel 12, verse 2, and I invite you to listen carefully to these words, we read that many of those who are sleeping in the dust of the ground will awake some to everlasting life. Now, the original Hebrew there has the expression chaye haolam, literally the life of the age. And when the Jews in the 3rd century B.C. translated their Hebrew Bible into the Greek, in the version known as the Septuagint, because it was done by 70 translators, we found also the expression the life of the age. Let me give you that Greek expression, and we're pronouncing our Greek as a modern Greek would, so any Greek listeners will recognize this easily. In Greek, that expression is zoe eonios, and it means the life of the age. Now this, the rabbis and the other readers of the Hebrew Bible and the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible, understood to be the life of the age to come, the life of the future age. And in the New Testament, we find that it's an exact synonym of the expression kingdom of God. So this enables us to make an important equation. The expression everlasting life or eternal life, actually mistranslated in our versions, but really meaning the life of the age to come, is a synonym for the kingdom of God. And so Christians, according to the Bible, are looking forward to the life in that future kingdom of God. Jesus in Luke 20 verse 35 spoke of that age meaning that future age of the kingdom of God. And he talked of those who are worthy to attain to the resurrection of the dead. And that age, the 
future age of the kingdom of God to be established upon the earth. Now that clarifies the goal of Christianity, and it's much more specific and much more related to this planet than some of the ideas, at least that I was taught when I went to church as a boy. I had a very vague notion about what the objective of Christianity was. I seemed to be told that if I was good enough, I would fly off to heaven as a disembodied soul. Now, that's a very unbiblical way of thinking of the future. Jesus, you know, was a Jew, and he preaches and teaches in terms of his Jewish background. And that, of course, means that he believed in the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. I'm sure you remember that Paul commended Timothy for his knowledge of the Hebrew Bible, the Scriptures which he'd been taught as a child. And Paul said that those Scriptures were able to give us the wisdom that leads to life in the coming age, the wisdom that leads to salvation, that is, when Jesus returns to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. That passage, incidentally, about Timothy and his knowledge of the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. There Paul says that you, Timothy, from a child, have known the sacred writings or the holy scriptures which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Messiah Jesus. And then Paul went on to say, in one of his most famous endorsements of the absolute authority of the scriptures, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The original there suggests that God breathed the very words of scripture. And it's useful for teaching or doctrine, for reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Righteousness, of course, is how to have your life in order and in a way pleasing to God. And the point of all that, he says in verse 17 of 2 Timothy 3, is that the man of God may be perfect or mature, thoroughly equipped for all good works. So there's a wonderful statement about the value of the Bible for us, and I want to point out to you that Timothy was commended for his knowledge of the Hebrew Bible, that 77% of our Bibles which too often gets neglected. Many, you see, do not realize that our Christian faith is based on the very Jewish and Hebrew background found in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. Now, we were talking a moment ago about one of the New Testament's key phrases, namely eternal life or everlasting life. Many people do not realize that comes right out of the Hebrew Bible. In Daniel 12, verse 2, we read of the dead being raised to eternal life, that's to say the life of the coming age. I'm sure you'll agree with me that it's absolutely essential to define our key terms correctly when we read any sort of document. How vital this is, then, when we read the most important of all documents, namely the Bible. Now, everlasting life, or eternal life, is not a strictly accurate translation. It means the life which is going to be enjoyed in the future age of the kingdom of God, which will be established on earth when Jesus comes back. I want to suggest to you now that in your Bible study, when you come to the expression eternal life or everlasting life, that you substitute the more accurate translation of that phrase and read there instead the life of the age to come or life in the age to come or indeed the kingdom of God of the future. You'll find that extremely illuminating. 
because it doesn't matter whether you speak of the kingdom of God coming or of the life in the age to come. These are synonymous expressions, meaning that period of time following the second coming when Jesus comes to establish the kingdom fully in Jerusalem, ruling as the promised Messiah on the throne of David. Now, what is most interesting, and again, most helpful in Bible study, is to see that Jesus' gospel, his gospel of salvation, centers around this key concept of the life of the coming age, or the kingdom of God. I'm sure you'll agree that the gospel is perhaps the most important word in the whole of our Bible. It describes, after all, what a Christian must believe in order to gain immortality, that's to say, salvation in the coming kingdom. The gospel has a definite label, an identity marker, and this defines for us what the message is all about. Now, Jesus was the first and definitive preacher of the gospel. You'll find that in Luke chapter 4, verse 43, and many other passages. Jesus, in that precious verse, says this, The reason why I was commissioned was to preach the gospel about the kingdom. Luke 4, verse 43. Now, that's a highly instructive verse because it opens up the entire mind of Jesus himself and tells us how he conceived the reason for his mission and ministry. Now, according to the New Testament, Christians are supposed to carry on the work of Jesus now that he's left us and gone to the right hand of his Father. You remember how Jesus appointed the apostles to be fishers of men. And so he instructs all of his followers down through this present age until the kingdom comes to carry on the mission of spreading far and wide the gospel about the kingdom of God. The great commission that Jesus gave to the church in Matthew 28 mandates that very thing. He told the apostles there, and they represent all subsequent generations of believers, that they should go into the whole world and teach everything that he had taught. Now, what he taught as first base is the gospel of the kingdom of God. So we're following the example of Jesus then. If we do our part in whatever way we can to spread the good news about the gospel of the kingdom of God, no less than 18 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, the gospel is defined as the gospel about the kingdom. This shows us what gospel Jesus preached and what gospel the apostles preached. Luke ends his second book, the book of Acts, by telling us that Paul preached the gospel about the kingdom, Acts 28, verse 23 and verse 31. And in Paul's farewell speech to the Ephesian elders, recorded for us in Acts 20, Paul described his whole career as, and I quote, the proclamation of the kingdom. You'll find that in Acts chapter 20, verse 25. And when Jesus spoke to crowds, he typically welcomed the people and began talking about the kingdom. You'll find that in Luke 9, verse 11. And amazingly, when the public came to meet Paul in Rome, we find him doing exactly the same thing as his master and Lord. We read in Acts 28, verses 30 and 31, right at the end of the book of Acts, that Paul welcomed them and testified to the gospel about the kingdom. So you see, the Bible is a textbook and revelation of God's plan for us as individuals and for the whole human race and for the future of our earth. John the Baptist and Jesus were the first preachers of the gospel about the kingdom. 
We find that in Matthew 3, verse 2, and Matthew 4, 17, and verse 23 also. And just shortly before his death, Jesus made this classic announcement. He said, This gospel about the kingdom must be proclaimed to all the nations as a testimony. And in Mark's account of the same event, we hear Jesus saying, The gospel will be proclaimed in all the world. Mark 13, verse 10. And Jesus' statement about this gospel of the kingdom being preached among all the nations is found in Matthew 24, verse 14. Now note carefully that this gospel of the kingdom, as Jesus called it in Matthew 24, 14, defines what we mean by the gospel in Mark 13, verse 10. In other words, if we compare the parallel passages of Jesus' exact same words, we will find that those passages define each other. They clarify and illuminate each other. So this gospel of the kingdom, as Matthew records Jesus' words, is exactly equivalent to the gospel in Mark 13.10. Now that's highly instructive again, because every time then we come to the expression the gospel, throughout the New Testament indeed, we must remember the fuller definition of the gospel as the gospel or this gospel about the kingdom of God. Matthew 24 verse 14. I want to invite you now to request from us an article which will show you how this basic gospel of the kingdom phrase unites the entire New Testament. Use the telephone number to be given at the end of this program and request this free article from us for your personal Bible study. Join us again as we continue to probe Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.